0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very special episode. Sitting in front of me is uh, someone I have not seen in person in over four months. That man's name, Rian Trim. We are back together at last, ladies and gentlemen. I'm back in the city, joined by Rian in person this time. And we are recording our first episode back together. It's it's really good to be back in the city, really good to be back with Rian, um, back in my non-closet of an apartment. We used to, I mean, we had like, I was telling Rihanna, we have this, like, table set where Rihanna and I used to record, and now we have that in a completely different part of our apartment, and um we just, I just have more space so we can actually sit and talk without, like, sitting on top of each other, so, um if that gives you any, anyway, Rion good to see you, man, how you been? I,
1: I've been good, dude, um, it has been like it feels like a semester, basically <laughs> like a semester abroad kind of thing. And it, and, and now we're co- and Now we've come back and we're and we're uh, just chilling again. Finally, like it, Elise and I gave me Elise gave me a big hug when I when uh, he, I came in. <laughs> so, so
0: massive, so massive hug.
1: <laughs> it was it was very warm. It was very warm. I enjoyed it. Um, but no, dude, it's it's been four months since we've seen each other in person. And also importantly, it's been three weeks since so three. I think three or four weeks since we uh, last recorded a podcast.
0: I think it. I think it's been like three weeks or something. But so something in that time frame. Yeah, I mean, it was a good break for us. Now that we're we're back on the your football's coming back. I should say. I mean, it's coming back in some capacity for the Champions League, Europa League, stuff like that. And then obviously we'll have our little. Break between the season starting and then we're back to basically football. Every other day, maybe something like that. But <laughs> yeah, I, th- I
1: think we're I think that we're going to get back to some sort of normal like uh, sometime in September. Who knows when at this point? But uh, but no, that in those in those three weeks, obviously a lot has happened. Like, at least, how has the, the three
0: weeks off been for you? Yeah. The last three weeks were like a very much a welcome vacation just because like most people like at work in general take vacation in July and August anyway. So by the time, you know, August, beginning of August rolled around and we got some time to take off, it felt like a vacation from like work, like the podcast, like everything in general. So it was, it was a really good time to just like hit pause um, because things have just been crazy for everyone the last five months. So it was, it was a good break, but I mean, I'm excited to, to talk about the Champions League. Well, I'm semi-excited to talk about the Champions League, um, and of course the Europa League, which has given me Spanish hope after the last couple of weeks. But um, no, it's, it, it was it was a good break, and I, and I know you basically found your way out of the house finally and got to actually play some soccer recently, <laughs> albeit alone. But <laughs> but still,
1: yeah, yeah, it was it was alone. True, I did. I uh, I went to I uh, went to McCarran Park near me because I'm. I'm, uh, as we've talked about before, I'm in well, in Williamsburg now. And I went to McCarran park this past Sunday, the first time I've gone like out of my apartment to kick a soccer ball. Well, the first time I've gone out of my apartment to an actual field that other people, other people would be playing soccer on. <laughs> like, and, uh, it was great. It was really nice to be back out there. And even honestly, even from that, uh, I don't know how long I was out there for like an hour or so. I realized again that my cardio,
0: horrible, horrible. <laughs> like I have not, no, no one, no one has had any, any chance to work. My Myself included. No. <laughs> well, I've tried doing workouts and stuff at home, but like, how do you, h- how do you do that? Like, it's just, it's hard. It's hard compared to going to the gym, but New York is. I have 25% capacity opening up gyms. I think, um, on Monday or something like that. I will not be, going back i will not be going anywhere where there's a mass gathering of people anytime soon but yeah, yeah it's it's good to be back a little bit to a little bit of reality um should we should we talk about the champions league Should we talk about we should we i think i think we should we should
1: i mean we have like i said it's been a long it's it's been a long few weeks <laughs> a lot has happened at least texted me i think last week he was like man damn we picked the worst time to go to go off for a few weeks I, I disagree. We picked the best time. We picked a great time. where We could soak it all in, not be, not be too reactionary. Um, obviously, is
0: Barcelona better without Lionel Messi? Is that too? All right, all right. So we're ending the podcast now. Just for the record, we're we're done with this. I have no further comments on that. Okay. Do you want to? Do you want to? Let's let's start with the two semifinals first, sh- shall we? Is that okay? Can we do that? We'll start with the two semifinals, starting with. Um, Oh, of course. Manchester City and (laughs) Lyon. Wait. Oh, wait. What were the the semifinals again? I I know Barcelona were not in in them. PSG played Leipzig and Bayern played Lyon. Yes, I got that. I was mixing up the quarterfinals and the and the semifinals. Okay, let's start. I over. think you're still so wrong. PSG played Leon.
1: <laughs> this this is the hard cutting analysis that, <laughs> that 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 three weeks off gets you. Elias Elias literally comes back and is totally out of form and <laughs> and is looking like a mix of Higuain and Suarez <laughs> like, after a summer after
0: their summer um, vacation this This is what I call peak footballing performance just it, in overlap terms, not in terms of footballing terms so okay so p s g played leon no p s g played leipzig you're wrong oh i am wrong yes wait a second. i am wrong <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay we'll start with with p uh <laughs> We'll start with PSG and Leipzig, obviously. Um, I want to start with like PSG in general because the two semifinals were slight duds, right? Because they were they were both three nails, like when you look at it. So they, they were slightly disappointing, but that's because we had like the best quarterfinals we could ever remember of the Champions League. I think like, not just obviously one of the games was something we never would have seen before, but all four games were extremely entertaining and PSG for once did not fold under pressure. Like it was almost refreshing to see. Uh, it was actually a little sad to see Atalanta have to like fold in the, also fold in their own sense in that second half against PSG. And they just looked really tired and PSG really wore them down with talent. But this is what a decade plus after the Qataris have come in and they have finally, finally made it to a Champions League final. Something that Manchester City are still working on making it, on getting to.
0: Yeah. So, in. Rion and Elias and overlap terms, for some reason, might might completely decide to cut out. And um, of course, you know, just as a reminder, Rion did forget which semifinals actually occurred. So we're pretty much even. Um, but to go back to Rion's point about the PSG project, if you will, they have come a pretty f- far way. Like they've come a long way on because getting to a Champions League final is still very impressive. I think there are two things that. That will have, or I guess, be forever stained. And the first is that this isn't like a real Champions League with COVID. Like it's just, it's. Oh my gosh, he's already throwing out the freaking excuses. Get out of here with that. Get out of here. Okay, no, 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 no. That's I'm not. I'm not talking about it in terms of you know the. I mean that for any team wins the Champions League like it always be a one-legged affair Tr- trust me if if it was a two-legged affair it like like I, I, that would case, but I, and I would have still pride myself to, but PSG and Byron and all the other teams that made it this far did it over one leg and it's not the same format as before so I, I think for any team that wins it there's going to be an asterisk it's not even a PSG thing the second thing and, and I don't know the answer to this and I think Sunday will be able to answer it. Does this finally mean that the Neymar transfer paid off? Obviously. <laughs>
1: Obviously it means <laughs> that the Neymar transfer paid off. They all they cared about was winning the Champions League. Like that was that was That was all that the PSG owners ever could, the Qataris ever cared about was winning the Champions League. They wanted to, they came into this project. They wanted to build a team that could dominate the league in France, which I know the bar wasn't that high, but, but they wanted a team that could dominate in France and could join the elite in Europe and win a Champions League. That we, we look at that. The reason why, you even bring uh, Manchester City, Manchester City brings in a Pep Guardiola. The reason why Chelsea was going through like two to three managers a season for a couple of years in the like the mid in the uh, early 2000s. Because when these like massive, massive billionaires came into these, a lot of these teams, like their biggest thing was that they want to win the Champions League. That's the it's the highest. Possible honor that any club team can have now, like you know I know we have the club world cup in where each domestic league is their own thing, but this is the biggest competition in club in club football, and one leg, two legs, three legs this all that matters who's winning this final is winning the champions league, and so yes the Neymar, the mbappe signing everything is worth it for p s g if they win that it's absolutely worth it.
0: That's, that's completely fair. I, I, I do agree that in all likelihood, I, I think my answer would be that it pays off. Objectively, I think it pays off. But I, I think the question then becomes, and this question has been asked before, why haven't they won it in prior years and can they win it again next year? I think because I value sustained success more than just the one-off. Right. And I think that should be what PSG is aiming for because they've invested so much money into this project and so much time and effort that sustained success is probably what they're looking for rather than just one Champions League. I think one Champions League for them should be the tip of the iceberg rather than we've completed and achieved all of our goals. Um, so it, I guess, yeah, the Neymar transfer probably would pay off if they went on Sunday. And in all likelihood, it's probably paid off already, even if they don't win on Sunday. Um but Sunday would be the icing on the cake forever. I mean, Doha would just lose its mind. So, um, I mean, I personally, we'll get to this in a second, but I personally think that PSG will actually beat Bayern in the final. I chose PSG um, as my favorites for the Champions League um, in the beginning of the season, and I'm not by that because they've constantly looked like a threat going forward bar Neymar's missed chances, et cetera. But they they constantly constantly continue to impress me, uh, so I have no reason to to doubt that. I mean, Bayern look amazing. Trust me, I know. Um, but PSG are also going to give them a run for their money. Don't don't rule them out. No, I think that's that's important.
1: Like obviously, this I tweeted this. Like this is the best possible matchup we could have gotten. honestly. When we really like think about it, like two teams. That we know are gonna go out and not play any sort of with any sort of caution, right? Like even if we had Manchester City playing Bayern, or if Manchester City made it to the final, right? The we'll get to Manchester City, Manchester City at the end of this episode, but in any case, Pep changed the way that his team played in these in like the most important game of the season. And that's not something that we would have liked to see (laughs) if he he was to play any sort of like pragmatic way, it would have kind of diminished the overall quality that the final could have had. Right. I I think this is the best possible way. You have two coaches, two German coaches, by the way, should note two coaches who are fully confident of the way their team plays. And they're going to go into the final, not afraid. I I, I believe they're going to both go into the final, not afraid, to play the way they've played all season, and that would set us up for a really, really entertaining uh, Champions League final. But enough of lauding the <laughs> the Doha uh, little machine that that is in Paris there, with PSG. <laughs> um, let's move on to I think the Bayern side of this, who have looked since the since football started again in May. They, they I said to Elliot, said, I thought that they were the best team in Europe and they have really proven that they have stepped up above. I think they've really rose to the top in terms of teams that look convincing in just about every game that we've seen them play since uh, the competition as we started, but also the Bundesliga restart as well. They're, they're the only team I think in Europe that's looked dominant in almost every game they've played.
0: So, oh, here, here are my thoughts on, Byron. um, that, <laughs> we're, we're, it, 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 that I have to get my thoughts on Byron while I'm looking at on the right in the eyes and we felt the pain. Notice that I eyes. did not, that I did not even mention, <laughs> this.
1: but I, I'm letting Elias, we're also going to get to bars at the end uh, more in depth, but try to keep it to Bayern just for now.
0: No, I, w- I will. I will. I- I'll say it's, it's hard to talk about one without talking, you know, is my point. But So let me talk about Bayern consistently in the Bundesliga have put up. I, this is the most amazing thing for me. Across, I think, all competitions, not even the Bundesliga, they've averaged three-plus goals in each game. That is that is ridiculous. That is on par with like 2014, 2015 MSN, like as we associate, like, sorry, as we associate that attacking Trident with like just the pillar of attacking football in Europe at that time. That is an absurdly high bar to reach. Lewandowski is obviously a big part of that. Canabry is obviously a big part of that. But I think Bayern's biggest strength is their depth. Bayern has a bench that can do the same things that their starters can do and they're all healthy. They all contribute. They're all on the same page about one attacking game plan that Hansi flick came in and completely rejuvenated this team earlier in the season. It's, it's been a complete turnaround since the beginning of the season. And I think that's the most impressive part about this team is that they have depth and they have an attacking game plan that suits all of their players. I mean, like, Flick has done an amazing job at making that all gel together. And so, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, the credit has to go to the players. But it, it a large part of it is, is Flick and the way he, he completely got this team into an attacking mindset of never, ever getting out of second gear, combined with, I mean, the squad depth that he has. Um, oh, and by the way, they're adding Leroy Sané. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, this the Bayern team. Is like I've tweeted about this too. Like they punish every single mistake you make. They, like to just look at today, Leon has two great chances to take the lead early in that game. Um, I believe it's I believe it's Depay that gets through the first time and tries to round Manuel Neuer. Great goalkeeping by by Neuer, by the way, to not let him get around it. But but still, he should I mean, she's probably finish that right and then. Uh, I can't remember who number 21 is on Leon, but he, but he gets in behind two, three times during this game, um, especially at the beginning. He kind of bundles his way past Alfonso Davies and ends up hitting the post. I think mean, that's unlucky, of course, but there are obvious weaknesses to the Bayern team with that high line, but I but I think what I love so much about them is that, like I said, they punished mistakes as we saw Gnabry going and just making a goal out of almost nothing <laughs> with his weak foot on, on the first goal, you know, punishing Leon. But something that we saw in the Barcelona game and in this game, but but we saw it mostly on hand in the Barcelona game. What I love so much about the Bayern team is how coordinated their press is. Like, it's it's one thing to have your forwards be you know pressing every defender touching the ball um who has the ball in the back and whatnot but the reason that their high line works so well is because as Thomas Mueller even said after the game against Barcelona, he said it said that I know if someone gets by me, there's gonna be some there's gonna be another guy to come and press afterwards. Like we have all this belief that no matter what Even if we're played around, there's going to be another guy to come and press. And that is it, like right there, the coordination of the team. Like that is always the most important thing, I think, in this in soccer and football, in any sport, really, is the actual coordination of the team. And if your team can actually press well together and they can do it that high then they're going to make it really difficult for just about any team, and I know that Barcelona kind of played into Bayern's hands in that in that uh, quarterfinal. But even so, against Lyon, there were times where Hasem um, Awar was able to dribble past, dribble through um, Tiago, or dribble or get uh, Garesca. but there was always someone was coming to meet him after that and and cutting out like passing lanes, cutting them off and and not allowing not allowing a lot of quality chances. And what we have to look forward to on Sunday is one, the amount of quality chances that uh, Byron gives up because they'll give up a couple. They'll give up a few just off the bat from playing so high and someone attempting to run in behind. But What we haven't seen in, especially today against Lyon, and I would say at the beginning in the first ten or so minutes of the Barca game, and I say at times even during Chelsea in the round of 16, is that the teams who are get who get in behind them and stuff are not finishing the chances, right? And that'll be a whole different prospect on Sunday, and and it'll be about whether. PSG can take their chances early because we've seen in the last couple of PSG games that Neymar's not having any trouble getting into the opposition box. He's not having any difficulty doing that. But if he misses the net as much as he has in the last two rounds, Bayern will make PSG pay.
0: Yeah, I think that's the... the big question right I I also think that PSG will absolutely get behind this Bayern defense I I think they will have very little trouble in in the final third getting to the final third and getting past their midfield press I think will be difficult um, for for PSG but I think once they're past the midfield press which players like Paredes like I think can do really well once they're past that, I mean, you have two of some of the fastest wingers in the world. Um, not to say Alfonso Davies is not fast, but Jerome Boateng is not fast. And I think I would pick Mbappe and Neymar against Joe, Jerome Boateng in any situation. Um, so it's just a matter of whether they finish their chances. Now, the PSG defensive line, I think, is also lacking in some areas, to be fair. Um, and Lewandowski will absolutely he will separate himself as much as possible from Thiago Silva. Like, the, just if you see three yards of space between Lewandowski and Thiago Silva, do not be surprised on Sunday. Like that should be expected. But I don't know if they're as they're going to come as often as it will for PSG. I, I genuinely think think it's possible that PSG have more chances than Bayern on Sunday. I'm not so sure the score line will be as reflective of that. Um, but like I said, I am expecting PSG to win. So who knows. Um Bayern are still here, – here's, here's what I think should be the positive for Bayern almost regardless of Sunday. Bayern, I think, are in the best possible position for the next three to five years to be the best team in Europe. I think they have done an incredible job, like I said, at building up squad depth, adding and making smart investments in players that are still young, either in their prime or just getting into their prime – And have the ability to gel with this team, like you said, really well. It's all about the team. It's all about using each individual player almost as like a piece on a chessboard. It's not about playing into Robert Lewandowski's strengths, actually. It's more about how can we as a team collectively get forward and put the ball and get into spaces that's going to maximize our goal efficiency. And it just so happens that they have the best striker in the world that helps them with that in Robert Lewandowski. That's, I think, and I agree with you, Bayern's best strength. So they're best posed, even if they don't win on Sunday, to be the best team in Europe the next season, the season after that, Barcelona are not. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that.
1: No, that, that, I think that's a, that's a really good point, honestly. I, the thing I'm most looking forward to on Sunday is really going to be the PSG midfield for me. I think that's the most important um, matchup for for both sides um, in terms of you know their midfield versus Byron's midfield because atalanta first half first half of that game where they're not where they weren't looking extremely tired uh, first half of that game neymar had individually created his own chances right outside of that atalanta pressed psg so high up because Tuchel for God knows why I started all of Marquinhos Andre Herrera and Idrissa Ganaghe, none of which can play a line breaking pass, even if they weren't pressed. So, so the, (laughs) so the pressing on top of that, the pressing, they can't dribble through that. They can't dribble through. They, they, they were sorely missing obviously Verratti was injured for that game, but they were sorely missing like Paredes um, in that game. And that's where I think is the most interesting part of this match is we saw Verratti come on um, close to the end of the, of the, of the Leipzig um semifinal game. If he's healthy on Sunday, that midfield of Marquinhos Paredes and Verratti is really balanced and really, really good. <laughs> I think that like, that's, I think I said before the uh, Atalanta game that I think this is that with Verratti and the team, this is the most balanced PSG team we've ever seen. Um, the most balanced team we've seen since the Qataris have come in. I think their back line is, <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to, to before then, like <laughs> before obviously, then. <laughs> but, but, um, but I think their back line is, is a bit better than we than we think. I, I don't know if I would say that it's necessarily better than Bayern's. It might be a wash, honestly. But I think what Bayern has to combat them is the athleticism on their back line. Right? I know Alaba's not crazy fast, obviously, but he's still got some pace to him. They have Davies which I think is another important one to look, for, look forward to. And we have to get up to that. Davies versus Mbappe.
0: Are we going to actually get to see them on the same side of the field? Yes. yes. The, the short answer is yes. You're going to see them at the same side of the field. Because I think, I, I don't know how this is going to play out. It's either going to be Mbappe switching to Davies' side or Davies switching to Mbappe's side. And I don't know which one I, I think it'll be a mixture of both because at the, I, I think it'll depend on who's attacking who's defending and which phase of play but you're absolutely going to see Byron's fastest player against PSG's fastest player and if you're not then one team is massively screwing <laughs> up their tactics like that's just a massive failure on behalf of either Tuchel or Flick I, I don't care who but yes you should absolutely be putting Mbappe doesn't defend but Davies go forward like or vice versa. Mbappe is going forward. Like Alfonso is your literally your best or fastest like winger slash fullback. Why would you not it's if okay, if they don't that would that would be ridiculous if okay, whatever. That's my thoughts. A bunch of jumbled thoughts. No,
1: I I think it's I, I don't know. I think it's really hard because Say you put you start Mbappe on the same. I mean, the pros of starting him on the same side as Davies would be Davies gets forward a lot more than, than normal fullbacks, obviously. And there's space in behind, and Mbappe could exploit that space. At the same time, literally the only player in the world that could <laughs> that might actually catch up to him <laughs> is Alfonso Davies. And it's it's it'll be really interesting because obviously if Davies is on it plays on the right side, um, where Mbappe starts a lot of games starts on the left side he starts on the left side if Davies plays right back and, and is um, on the same side as Mbappe it would feel a bit pragmatic because we know they've been playing him at, at left back all or Bayern have been playing him at left back all season but he isn't a left footer so it, it could work I mean who knows but but that's I think. I think that area and the midfield area are the two most important battles for this game in terms of who
0: I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, maybe not who, who will play where on Sunday in terms of the wing back and winger positions. But I absolutely agree that midfield and the Mbappe Davies race. Um, I don't even really want to just call it a race. I mean, it's more of a tactical battle. It's not just a foot race. Um, I think those are the two crucial areas. Like I said, I still think PSG come out on top. And I I want to say that I still think Mbappe can get behind this Bayern defense. Like, I absolutely think he's capable of that. Also, to think about it, I mean, just for a second, this is a tangent on Mbappe specifically. The kid is, what, 21 now? I I think he's 21. He will, if he wins on Sunday, be a World Cup final, World Cup holder, a Champions League winner, And a I think two or three time League winner plus a golden Name me other than maybe Lionel Messi. And notice how unbiased I'm being by saying maybe. Name me another young player that has the accolades that that he does. I I think that I think that is genuinely absurd. He's truly a
1: I mean, when you think about at his at his age, there's no one, there's no one that has that's ever had the accolades that he had. had, He won. He was the most influential player on a World Cup winning side at the age of (laughs) eighteen, like nineteen. Sorry, that is uncomparable. The only comparison we have there is Pele. That's it. That's it, <laughs> and and obviously we, we can't say right now if he's going to be Pele, but there's really if if they win on Sunday, there's really no other comparison we can make in terms of someone who's been so accomplished at such a young age, and he's going to arguably be the most important player in that in this game. What happened? How Bayern defend him? How he is able to create chances for his teammates and finish chances himself is going to be the, he'll be the most influential player.
0: A hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of in 2011, the champions league final with Barcelona and Manchester United. Um, and even that whole season, when people had started to truly recognize as as, you know, the world's best player at that point, um, it, it reminds me of, now, if we're kind of seeing a similar version with Mbappe, I mean, as Ronaldo and Messi decline and start to look towards retirement in the next maybe four years, um, does Mbappe take over that reign now? And, and I think the answer is yes, but it just the the sensations, if you will, are there that Mbappe will potentially be the one to almost take over and and be recognized as that great player. Um, at such, a, such a young age. So, I mean, I wish him the best of luck because I love seeing, you know, talent succeed. So, um, bias aside, good luck to, to each team on, on Sunday because it's going to be a really, really good game it should be a really good game. On the,
1: on the flip side, we, I think we do have to acknowledge the significance of if Bayern were to win now, where do we put Lewandowski on in terms of, in terms of, the best strikers of like his of his generation right it, I think it's really between him and Suarez if we're talking about the the twenty tens at least, and the only thing that Suarez has on him is the champions the twenty fifteen champions League title and I think if lewandowski if buying Lewandowski win on Sunday, obviously if Lewandowski scores, that'll help with the legend um i mean th- then it's like. You're, I guess you're flipping a coin. I know that we've talked about this before. I, I I think, I think if he wins it, then just marginally, marginally, I'll say he's had he's had a better career than than Suarez. But obviously, we're picking at we're really we're picking at straws. Like that, these are two the two best number nines in of the decade. So it's it's really picking at straws. But but. I think it would be huge for, for Lewandowski to get a Champions League title. This is the f- first time since 2013 that he's been in the final. The last time he was playing against Bayern Munich for for Dortmund um, and under Jurgen Klopp. And similarly, playing against a team that was going for the trouble. You should also note, like, these are two teams that are both going for their own trouble. That, and that's uh, something that we haven't seen for, what, five years? And, you know, it, it's really all set up very well. Um, I think before we move on to the Europa League final, we got to give shout outs to Leipzig and Leon, of course, um, both teams that made it through the quarterfinals upsets and big upsets, obviously in Leon's case, uh, Leipzig just completely out coached, out coached and, and out fought Atletico Madrid, something that you don't see from uh, a Diego Simeone team, right? And just, just let's, can
0: we just talk about that game for a second? I I knew we were going to get to this point. I knew it. If, If I
1: just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it from Simeone. I thought the point of the money that was spent last year was that we're moving this team forward, and it feels like we've gone stagnant at best this season. They still, they still don't create enough chances. I, I would say for a team that for a team that we feel like should be competing more for La Liga titles and and should be I don't know showing more than they did in that quarterfinal. They were so regressive and as soon as Jao Felix comes on, the game almost completely changes because he's the only one on the pitch who is actually going to try. He's not the only one. I shouldn't say not the only one. I I believe Carrasco didn't start that game either. He didn't play anyone that would actually do something risky. And it was really, really disappointing to watch. It was really disappointing, but full marks to, to Leipzig because they kept fighting and, Huge, huge moment for Tyler Adams, of course, to to score the winning goal in quarterfinal of Champions League. Huge for his confidence, but also huge to see. Uh, obviously, always huge to see a, a U.S. national team player do well, but especially do well at this level because all that's going to do is not just raise his own confidence, but there, however, x innumerable amount of of um, other. U.S. soccer prospects who were probably watching that game, and that fills them with confidence too—that they can get to the same level and stuff. So, really, every like full march to Leipzig and, and Julian Nagelsmann, who couldn't help but get his fit off in the in the semifinal. <laughs> he, was, he was dressed so clean; it didn't fucking matter that they lost. It didn't matter. He got the fit off, but um, but yeah, really, congrats to Leipzig and especially Leon, who obviously we'll touch on their game against Manchester City later, but a team that was seventh and had to change their manager in the middle of the season, making it to the Champions League semifinal. That's pretty fucking great, honestly. So congrats to them. Yeah, they,
0: were, they, were, they were one uh, one stage off from beating Barcelona's elimination in the quarter So technically they did better. So anyway, um, I don't know why I keep comparing Barcelona and everything, I apologize, but um, yes, to, to give my thoughts on Leipzig, or, uh, actually, I, I think that Simeone was under the impression that we're still playing a two-leg Champions League system, um, because that would I think those, that setup that he went into would have worked if he was playing away from home in the Champions League, but um, he wasn't, and it was a one-legged game where he needs that level of creativity from João Felix um, did not start him I don't believe to my knowledge, it was really related to injury um, but i I don't know what I'm missing here i i just I think things were set up to fail from the beginning. I agree with you um on the the point of of Leipzig, I think you said it exactly the major takeaway honestly, I know how German fans feel about the club but very happy for Tyler Adams and um, what he was able to accomplish. Shout out to him. I know he's very much listening to the podcast right now. So shout out to Tyler Adams. Um, and then, of course, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the other side of the, the Manchester City-Leon thing in a second. But let's give our thoughts briefly on the Europa League and the inter Sevilla game coming up on Friday, uh, which I'm very excited for. Sevilla, of course, knocking out... Um, Manchester United, Inter Milan knocking out Shakhtar Donetsk in the Europa League. Who do you think is going to win? I'll I'll, I'll keep it very simple. I've been very impressed with both sides in the Europa League. Of course, this is Sevilla's bread and butter over the last eight years. And Inter and Lukaku especially have just looked on fire. So, thoughts? I, I think we have to think back to
1: four years ago at the Euros. Antonio Conte was the Ita- the Italian manager at the time. It's a, a team that honestly, that Italian team was not very good. <laughs> really was not very good. Um they'd gotten knocked out of the group stage of the World Cup two years prior to that Euros. And the team wasn't much better going in mean, 2016. Had had Graziano Pelle as the as <laughs> the striker, their main striker up top scoring for them. It, he was so great because in that format where it's a game every 3 days or something like 3 days and the team has to be with each other the entire time and very little distractions from outside he's a great motivator in like those shorter term kind of periods and is able to really get the cohesion and team chemistry to a level where the team is Playing above the sum of their parts. Now let's fast forward to right now. This team has much more talent than that, than <laughs> <In> that 2016 <laughs> Italian national team, obviously. But once again, we're seeing a transformed Romelu Lukaku who just looks like a, not a fully different player, but looks like a player who's playing more to his strengths now than at least we saw in the last year at United. Um, the last like, year and a half at United, really. But I, for my for for me, I, I'm putting Inter as a favorite because the quality of the forwards up top, the chemistry between Lautaro Martinez and um, Rangu Lukaku, and a team that looks like they just are very confident in how they play and have the quality to go and score the goals, I, I'm putting them above Sevilla because I think the the quality will show out. And I think that the organization and the intangibles that comes with um, an Antonio Conte team, Inter have a great mix of all of that. And I think that makes them favorites for me for the final.
0: I'll give my brief thoughts because I'm pretty much going to say the same exact thing. I completely agree that Inter are the favorites and they're my favorites to win this, unfortunately Um, because I do love Sevilla and and their story in the Europa League. But Inter just have the quality up top that I don't think Sevilla do. And this game at the end of the day is obviously about goals. Um, The only area that I think Sevilla, I mean, not the only, but I think one of the major areas that Sevilla have over Inter are their midfield combinations. I think that's superior to Inter's. Um, I I think that in terms of technical ability that Sevilla's midfield can circumvent Inter in, in terms of, figuring out their spacing um, and especially exposing the wide areas and going forward. That I think could be a pretty big weakness for inter because I don't think defensively, they've been as strong as they want to be. I don't think Godin has been, you know, the Atlético Godin that we're expected that we've expected, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I, I say the same thing. Talent will always show and bar the eight, two, that was a hundred percent true. Um, honestly, not even part of the A two. So, like, that's yeah. I, I think, you know, what are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, very fair. Anyway, um, I complete. It's, I completely agree that um, Inter will likely win on Friday. Unfortunately, um, but I will be rooting for Sevilla. So. Ah, with that, I think that takes us to our our break um uh, before we come back and uh, and rant i'm gonna I'm just gonna say rant that's what i'm gonna say all right ladies and gentlemen we are back for the overlap rant <laughs> that is uh that is what portion of the podcast today um We're going to go over the two. I don't even want to know if I want to call one of them an upset, but I want to call games for their impact and their significance on the respective teams that lost starting off with Manchester City. Rian, Manchester City were in a prime position to go on through the quarterfinals, take on Bayern and potentially in the same way that PSG did land in the Champions League final. What happened in this Leon game that led Manchester City to get knocked out? And rightfully so um, in that, in those 90 minutes.
1: Well, I mean, long, long story short, honestly, it's that Pep gave in to the opposition and was pragmatic. And it's, and it's not something that we associate with him Normally, And over a 38-game season, as we've seen in his past, in his entire mm-hmm. career, over a 38-game season, he's one of the best coaches to ever, ever grace the game, right? Well, and we see a playing style and a philosophy that works, or again, works over the long run, and yet the last three years and and I can just say, I don't quite, I don't remember well enough the, the three years, the three semifinals um, that Bayern played in under, under him. Uh, disappointing in their own sense. But if we just want to talk about his time at city first season, they get knocked out in the quarterfinals by Monaco who, who, was fantastic, fantastic over those two legs and fantastic over that season, by the way. So, and Pep's first season, that's Pep's first season at Manchester City. So, that's a wash. We we give benefit of the doubt. It takes time for a team. That's a much different team than the Manchester City we've seen in the last two years. Um, The next, the following seasons, we see... (laughs) What we see? Barcelona, or sorry, not Barcelona, we see Liverpool game, where they're blown to pieces in the first leg 4-0. And and Liverpool just absolutely storms them that day. And, and Liverpool plays again fantastic. Another opponent just played really, really well against them. Right. And then last year, it, the VAR, the, the VAR controversy, the the, the we were at Lorente goal that, pro- that, that wouldn't be a goal now. The really, really, really harsh offside that was called on Sterling's um, goal at the end where they had literally won the game. They had won the game and VAR comes in and takes it off. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking because I mean, that, was a, that was an insane game anyway because that was like four goals in the first I think, like 25 minutes of that game. That was an insane game. But again, the first leg, they lost that first leg against Tottenham um, last year. And this one, I think, has to be the most disappointing. The mo- I feel like it's the most disappointing performance from a Pep Guardiola team in the Champions League, honestly. And it has, I think... Some something to do with the players. Obviously, there were individual mistakes in the game, and and that can always happen, right? But the fact that Pep started all three of Eric Garcia, Imeric Laporte, and Fernandinho in in what looked like a back three, and the first goal is a direct, <laughs> is a direct. Um, reason of that goal happening is the fact that Fernandinho out of position and looks like a 34 year old midfielder who has been converted to a center back. And on top of that, been converted to a center back in a back three. <laughs> Ultimately it's, he was pragmatic, with pragmatism. And this was so disappointing from Pep. I think this was, this was the, like I said, the most disappointing result for sure. But Really disappointing as two people who are, who are big fans of him as a coach that someone with his resume and his accolade and the records, the records, dozens of records that his teams have broken in his career. Someone that goes into these big games and somehow is still not confident in his own philosophy and in his own. Players even in this game. (laughs) For some reason, Riyad Mahrez nor Phil Foden started that game. De Bruyne was started like on the right wing in that game. It it was was so much weird things going on and in in the setup, and it was just really disappointing to see that ultimately Pep was just not confident enough in himself or his players.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good overview of exactly what happened. I mean, I I'd, I'll go as far as to say, I to say that he wasn't confident in his players. I think he very much was. I, I think that with Pep, he likes to be meticulous in his preparation. I, I say that like I know the guy, but like in my experience from having seen him coach Barcelona and and through his years at Bayern and now at City, he likes to be meticulous in his his prep and. I, I guess this reminds me very much of in 2015 when he came back to the camp with Bayern in the Champions League semifinal. He had a lot of injured players. I mean, granted, but the Bayern team was still strong, right? They obviously were still competing in the semifinal. So that has to say something. But what Pep did I mean, a part of this is messy being messy, but like what Pep did is he basically set up the team to meet Barcelona's standards, if that makes sense. Like he set up the team to circumvent Barcelona rather than playing to Bayern's strengths. And I think that's been a theme over some of the most crucial knockout stages in the latter portions or the most recent portions of his career. Not necessarily the earlier days with Barcelona, because I don't think I really ever saw him do that. It was We're going out with this setup and we're going to dominate you. Now it's more about how can I tweak my team in order to exploit weaknesses from other teams rather than play to like Manchester Manchester City's strengths. And ultimately, it's been to his detriment. I mean, the results are the ones that matter regardless of the play. I mean, he had a lot of bad luck last season. Completely say it was a lot of bad luck. But this season was, like you said, probably the most disappointing one. It was right in front of them the entire time. Granted, maybe we're not even having this conversation with Sterling you know, scores at the end, but I still think that the game plan would have been looked back on as improper, essentially. So where does Pep go from here? I think he stays at City. I think he stays at least bare minimum another year. I think that with them rejuvenating the squad or always continuing to do so, he is still going to be in competition for the Premier League. He's still going to be in competition for the Champions League. That won't go away with the squad he has. But he needs to take a hard look in the mirror, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Managerial choices, not his tactical choices, his managerial choices in ch- the Champions League latter stages. I wish him the best because I love him to pieces, but it has not been cons- consistent with the early days of Pep that I'm used to. So,
1: Yeah, it's it's... The wor- I feel like the worst part of it, too, is that I think this is the first time that all those people that always say, oh, he overthinks it every time. He overthinks, he overthinks it in these big games. No, the thing is he overthinks it in every game. But it's like it's for some reason in these one-off games, he overthinks it to the point where he, he thinks, like you said, meticulously to the point where he, I wouldn't even say he was trying to exploit Leon's weaknesses in this game. It, it it felt like he was trying to guard his own team from, from what Leon does well. Whereas you know, what's the reason for playing three at the back when seemingly no one in Leon's um, front line was really trying to press forward that much. I mean, obviously the first goal was a run in behind, but that, that we already talked about the disorganization in that goal, but there was no reason to adapt your style of play to a team. Like we said earlier, wasn't seventh when the league got uh, suspended slash canceled for the rest of the season. Right. This is not a team that also, as we saw today is going to have the quality to finish you off under, you know, if, if you make them actually try to play through you, if you make them, have to or if you make them have to actually keep up with your scoring like that they, they can't do it they can't do it so it, it was really disappointing to see from Peb and, and I agree with you they're they're gonna this team's gonna be quite different <laughs> going into next season um and they're they're gonna be great again but this is now this is haunting them this this is a trophy that's now haunting them and, and we see that I think all of these teams who have become massive teams over the last 10 to 12, or last 15 or so years because of very rich owners. Chelsea, Manchester City, and PSG, I think were like the big, the three big ones, right? And each of them got to a stage where I mean, a three to, I say three to five year stage where it was like, it's just not happening for us. Like, why is this not happening? Um, and, City hasn't even gotten over the hump of making it to the final, making it to a final yet. And Chelsea reached a final and lost in penalties. PSG were going out, went out on away goals like three years in a row. You know, those are heartbreakers. Manchester City, it's their turn right now. They're they're having trouble getting over the hump that final hump and that's really hard. And we've seen either more established teams, Juve have have had trouble getting over the hump during the last ten years too. So it's this competition is still really hard to win, obviously.
0: Um, uh, we um we on the Barcelona such side just I want to point out just choose to crumble. That's all. That's all I'll add. Yeah,
1: yeah. Everyone, everyone finds their own their own niche, but, um, but but yeah, that's just where we are in Manchester City right now. And I feel for Sterling with that miss. Probably the worst. Probably like the worst miss we've seen. In, he's he's gonna see that in his sleep. Yeah, it's it's, it's one. Of the, it's like the worst miss we've probably ever seen in a Champions League um, game. But they're going to come back again. They'll be really strong again next season. But now it's like, it's a mental block. I think more than anything, more than not having more than a talent um, deficiency, you know, in terms of them being able to make it to a final. So it's a mental block. They're going to have to get over it. And we can't guarantee that they will. So they're going to be great again next season, but Pepper really does have to, like you said, look at himself and, Whatever you've been doing in the past, that shit is not working. So he's got to, he's going to have to take a good look at at himself. And that's what the great coaches do. They're able to adapt and he's going to have to adapt slightly, even just slightly.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And I think he has the capability of doing that. Um, (laughs) How much he does is a completely different story, but I think he absolutely needs to adapt. He absolutely needs to recognize where football is going and what his team needs to do to avoid this. I think half of it's going to be mental in the same way that PSG have gone through that the last three years. I think that's very much, I mean, look at (laughs) La Remontada. Like, how do you get past that? Like that alone, for PSG to go from that to a Champions League final three years later is still impressive. So, um, yeah, I will er, reevaluate themselves and Pep specifically. I, I don't have any lack of faith if you will in um in this team or in Pep.
1: Yeah, and one last thing before we before we get on to Barcelona. Ultimately, Pep is a guy that wants control over every little thing on the on the on the pitch. He wants he wants his team to control 100% to control and dominate the game. And that's his way of kind of mitigating risk and everything. Like we're going to control every single part of this game. So I'm going to change the team to make sure that we're controlling everything. And as we saw the three Leon goals are not great goals. Shit happens in soccer. Like shit happens. Like you're not always going to get the luck and stuff. And, 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 I think he needs to like let go a little, let go a little bit of that control. You're not going to be able to dominate every single part of the field. And he just has to trust, he has to trust his players ultimately, I think. But I think that's enough for, for Manchester City right now. I think we feel better about their next two years, the prospects of their next two to three years than, than this, than this disaster, this like, this, basically Manchester United in Spanish Catalan. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. My team sucks now. This is, uh, this has been coming for years. Um, The Barcelona Bayern result is a culmination of about five to six years of poor management, poor sports planning, high wages, and too much player power it's all come together and it culminated with the 8-2 you thought that Roma was bad that was nowhere near the peak you thought that Anfield was bad still not it Bayern Barcelona 2-8 was by far no excuse me 8-2 how dare I say that Um, was was the absolute bottom it started I mean I'll make it brief because I could go on for an entirely complete, you know, episode of its own about this. But about five to six years ago, Bartomeo, Josep Bartomeo came into power, at Barcelona as president of the club. He came in after you know several years of Central Rosel, the really terrible, corrupt president as well. Um basically his buddy Bartomeo came in and as manager of Barcelona or president of Barcelona, his number one goal was wasn't really sporting focused. It was monetary and financial. And the problem with that is there's no love for club, which I think a lot of managers and board members and other clubs have. And there's a pure emphasis of how can we drive revenue? And it was the club has been run like a business. That means that well, what happened was about five, six years ago, Barcelona win the treble. They win the treble with Luis Enrique in his first season. Everything seems fine. But that alone right there, I think, was Barcelona's worst moment. And I didn't realize this, worst moment of the entire decade. Winning the Champions League in 2015 completely coded over all of the structural problems within the club. It painted over the fact that there was no sporting plan for Bartomeu for aging players that were coming up. There was no sporting plan for how to promote the youth. We've seen the decline of La Masia in terms of promotion to the first team until maybe now with Ansu Fati and Ricky Puj. But ultimately, this has been coming. We've had dodgy signings for years. Arda Turan, only up until I think this year or just this past year, was on Barcelona's books. That's absurd. He hasn't played for this team in years, nor was he qualified to play in the first place. Paulinho, I could go on and on and on about the poor planning, but it was noticeable when Zubi Carlos Puyol, two influential figures within the Barcelona boardroom at the time, back in the mid-2010s, left the club. When when went in and around, Bartomeu came in because they knew what was coming. They knew the poor planning was coming. They knew that the the, the power was shifting. The politics within within the club were terrible. It left a bad taste in your mouth. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this is what's happened. Messi, and I without a doubt believe this is true, wants to leave Barcelona. I don't know if he will, quite frankly, because it would be very hard for any club to buy him. But Messi does, I think, want to leave Barcelona. Bar, Ronald Koeman, who, who is now the new Barcelona coach, coming in and painting a picture of what a Fantastic sporting project could look like for Barcelona. Beyond that, I think Messi is gone after next season. Regardless, I I think this is likely his last season at the club, which is shocking because this is now Bartomeu's legacy. And at the end of the day, the worst part of it—you would think that Messi leaving would be the worst part of it. The worst part of it is not actually that. The worst part of it, I think is that Barcelona is no longer a place for talent to be viewed or viewed as by talent as a place to grow and win and succeed. The club has turned into a laughingstock in the last three years, and it is going to take several years in the same way that it did Manchester United to repair itself going forward. It's entirely possible that we go on and win the Champions League next season. I firmly believe it's entirely possible. Reason being, I think that the pieces the foundation is still somewhat there for a good team, but we're not going to win it. We don't, we don't have the, the skill. We don't have the energy. We don't have the intensity that Liverpool, that Bayern, that most top teams, even PSG have. It's not there in Barcelona. It's an aging squad. All the players have practically massive wages and contracts. Why would they leave? They're comfortable. It's too easy. It's not competitive. That's the biggest problem with this club. And the person that suffered the most from it is Lionel Messi. We've successfully wasted the last five years of this man's career of the greatest player of all time, not winning a single Champions League, winning, granted, a good record in La Liga. That should not be understated. But not winning the Champions League once in the last five years, that's criminal. And you will never, ever be able to replace time. To get that back for, for Lionel Messi. So the Bayern-Barcelona game, to, to recap, is not, it, it's not a one-off. This has been coming for years. Um, I think a lot of Barcelona fans were blind to it. But at the end of the day, the people that suffer the most are the fans. Lionel Messi. And um, I think those two are really the most important things when it comes to a football club. Um, so I'm, I'm sad about it, but I think... I, I hope that change is coming within the club. Um, we're starting to see it a little bit, but I, I'm very wary of until this board is out, which they will be in March. And there's not much I have
1: to add to that. You no, know, outside of, uh, like you said, I think one of the biggest things of the last five years is that decline in reputation for the club. Um, not only as a not only as a place that players can look at as a place to come and succeed but i think more importantly as a place that young players or their own youth players look at as a place i can go and grow as a player and cuz we haven't seen a single player come in and become better and, and become a better player because they played under you know, in the past we saw it because they played under Guardiola because they played under our uh, because they played under these great managers in the past for Barcelona or played with these great players of Barcelona. The fact that we're five years on from the 2015 final and Ivan Rakitic is still a, a, an important player for this team in terms of how many games he had plays and starts for them. The fact that Arturo Vidal, who is, Six to seven years on from his from his prime is still is starting this game is starting a Champions League quarter final. It's unbelievable. I think I think the PK interview post match interview was was really obviously really telling, but but I feel like that was really like kind of the whoa the rock bottom kind of thing where he literally said. Something needs to change. And I'm not talking about the players. I'm not talking about the coaches. And then he went, he went on to say that something needs to change with the players and like, there needs to be something done about this squad. And, and he said, if I need to go, I will go. Like that was, that really hit me. It was like, he's, if I need to go, I, I'll be the first to go. And I think it's unbelievable that like, you think about PK, Sergio Busquets. Jordi Alba and Lionel Messi. Eight years, nine years ago, when or eight years ago when Pep left. If you would have told them that combined, you guys, you guys and Pep will combine, go to just one Champions League final for the next nine years. That they would have, they would have thought you were fucking crazy. Like that could have. That's something that no one could have ever seen. Um, obviously the circumstances are different on each side, but it's unbelievable that we haven't seen a varsity team really challenge for a Champions League final since winning it. And, and I know that, that they've made it to a few semifinals, but the second legs of those of all those semifinals were embar-
0: embarrassing, literally embarrassing. To, to use your term, uh, I prefer the term poopy. honestly at best
1: it's just it's really disappointing end to the to an era of someone who we consider arguably the greatest player to ever play the sport it's such a disappointing end to his career because we know he's not going to get any better and when he does move on he'll probably still be the best team on whatever the best player on whatever team he joins uh but it won't be the same. And it's going to be really weird to see him play in literally any other colors. And I think ultimately that's the biggest disappointment from all of this is that we're going to have to watch Lino play in a different shirt.
0: Yep. I entirely agree. It's a completely unforgivable mistake. Not mistake. Just, it's just completely unforgivable to to waste the last five years on not building this team around both Messi and a new rejuvenated core, because that doesn't exist. Um, Maybe Coleman comes in and whips everyone into shape. And I'm magically completely surprised. Um, And I think he has some of the qualities that I'm looking for in a coach, but I said this to a friend, there's no coach in the world that can come into this problem and fix it. There's there's not – because it, it can't be fixed on just the coaching level. It needs to be fixed club-wide. So I'll leave you with, with that thought. Um, it, honestly, the one thing – I'll leave you with this thought. The one thing that I look back on now and value the most was Luis Enrique not winning the treble. I mean, yes, obviously winning the treble, but not just that. When Xavi left at the end of the 2015 season, He left so gracefully and got phased out of the team. For who? He got phased out for Ivan Rakitic, to be fair. But he got phased out in a way where he was still a part of the team but was no longer the core. They weren't relying on him game in and game out. That, to me, became, like, in hindsight, is just so valuable in how Luis Enrique was able to do that. And that's what this team needs now. That's my parting thought.
1: Yeah, that's, it's going to be a, a very different team, you know, for um, 12, 12 to 18 months from now. Um, I think Cumin is good to come in in terms of a personality, because now that's what the team, that's what the squad needs. They they need a manager who's going to come in and, like you said, whip people into shape, potentially. And, and we'll see what happens with the fire sale this summer. And, I mean, we know it'll be a much different team, but... Lots to look forward to in this upcoming season. We still have the Champions League we still have the Europa League final on Friday, we have the Champions League final on Sunday, and then September twelfth, you've got the Premier League, I believe La Liga and the Bundesliga starting their seasons again. So it's all happening very fast. And within all of that, the transfer window is a thing. And and we'll have we'll have episodes to talk about all the transfer rumors and, and whatnot. But um I think that's all for me today, Elias. I I'm glad you got got that out. You got that all out. I hope you feel a little better. I hope
0: that was therapeutic for you. Oh, oh it, it so was. Um I'm glad like I said we'll we'll be back talking towards, of course the the results of the Europa and Champions League finals um and the upcoming la liga and premier league seasons so with that thank you guys as always for listening we are back resuming normal service and in person um and we will talk to you guys soon thanks guys